This is episode 28 of the Jazz Violin Podcast, and I'm talking to Regina Carter. If you want to support the podcast you can do so via patreon www.patreon.com forward slash jazz violin podcast you get a bunch of different extra things extra episodes you get full videos of uh, each of the interviews that i do and you get to help me out um i am really lucky today to be chatting with regina carter regina is one of my favorite violinists and musicians of all time listening to regina play has always been so inspiring for me so so happy that she was happy to chat to me today um we just chatted a little bit about how she first got into playing her process for uh, learning jazz her process for playing music in general and uh, also just what she's been up to on in our uh, in these funny times because every musician is dealing with lockdown in different ways and it was nice to hear how regina has been finding the positives out of our current covid19 situation so without further ado i'll give you regina carter So thanks so much for joining me, Regina. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Matt. Yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm really. Uh, I'm really excited that you're. Uh, that you're here to chat to me. You, like I said just before we. Um, before before we started, you are a real large influence on me and my music and my playing. So I'm. I'm very honoured that you would take the time to chat to me. Um, well, thank. You. Yeah, I appreciate. That. So. First of all, how are you? Uh, how are you holding up in the current situation? Um, you know, I I'm doing okay. Um, other than having a very difficult time focusing, but for me, that's kind of my usual. So I guess it's a little amplified now. Okay. Um, but um, you know, I feel fortunate that, that that my husband and I are here together. We have we this actually this is. I think it's made our relationship stronger. Mm. Um, he's keeping busy with Zoom teaching and meetings. And uh, we live in a town where it's a small town, but I could go for a walk or we could go for a walk. There are not that many people or we go go at night. Mm. Um, and, uh, you know, I just uh, it's, it's made us cook more <laughs> yeah. to get a little bit more uh, creative. But it's so it's I've, I've been hanging in here. OK, yeah, that. That chimes a little with myself uh, on on pretty much everything you just said. I know what you mean about making the relationship stronger with your other half because, yeah, you spend a lot of time with that person and and it really shows you that like that's cool and that 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 could be really nice, right? Right, exactly. Um, for the for us lucky ones. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know and that's not, obviously not the case for everybody, but um, 
Uh, so you mentioned that you find you've been finding it difficult to to focus, and you said that that's a that's a part of you anyway. Uh, in what way? So, what would you like to be focusing on, and uh, how, have you, how have you been finding that difficult? Um, well, you know, all the things that one says that they never have time to do, like organizing my office <laughs> or uh, taking the time to having the time to study some things that I've, I've always wanted to do, or, uh, you know, you have all this time. And I find I just, sometimes I start to do something and then the next thing I know, either I've been spacing out or, or I'm doing something. It's just like, I'm all over the place and yeah. I can't get settled. And so, um, and it's, I've been talking to some other, other people at first. I thought it was just me. But I've been talking to other friends that have the same the same issues, so um, I'm trying not to beat up on myself about it. Yes, yes, I uh, I, I 100% agree. And um, I don't know, do you do you are you a user of uh, of, a, of social media or to any de- to any degree? I mean, I I go on and I look, I post, you know, when I see something interesting mm-hmm. or if we're doing something. I post. I, I love looking at other people's posts, but I can't. I don't. I some days I just can't go on. Mm. I don't want to go on at all. I don't. You know, there's days I don't want to hear the news. I just want complete, yeah. either quiet or music, and that's it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I understand. And I think I just. I was just thinking that because you know, social media can I think can make these things worse sometimes if you're finding it difficult to be productive in whatever you want to be and you look on social media and you see everybody else being like, Oh yeah, I've done this thing. And you think, Oh God, but it's important to stay connected with people. Right. So, yeah. Um, so I'd like maybe just take a step back and we'll maybe move on to some more coronavirus related stuff. Not too much though. You know, there's, there's a bit too much of this at the moment, isn't there? But, um, it'd be interesting to just hear your story as to how you, first got into uh, playing music? Um, I started as a, a young child in Detroit. Um, my, my mother's mother, my maternal grandmother, graduated from uh, Morris Brown University in 1915 mm-hmm. with a degree in piano pedagogy. So music was always important in our family. Music and education. My mom was a kindergarten teacher. So she wanted my older brothers and I to be exposed to music and art. And so we we all took music lessons. And I started very young on piano. I was two mm-hmm. um, because they, they saw that I could I could play things back by ear. But I was too young for formal lessons. You know, to the teacher would try to get me to read music, learn how to read music. And I just I wasn't interested. I was more interested in creating music. So. When I was four, this piano teacher uh, told my mom that there was a, a, a program uh, starting for strings that she thought would be perfect for me because I had such a strong ear. And it was the Suzuki method. Hmm. And I, I, I took to it immediately. Um, I loved playing. Um, and I think also um, having the group, the group lessons on Saturday, I made really good friends um, and I felt like I had I had a crew, you know, the mm-hmm. other people, other kids that loved doing what I love to do. Mm. Um, and uh, those kids, like at least six of those 
the kids from that six students from that class are still professional are professional musicians two are with the um san francisco symphony one is with the chicago symphony one's with the chicago symphonietta uh a set of twins they tour with a court with their own quartet another one uh is a solo cellist and and so it's it's amazing after all these years we we finally got together uh last year uh for the first time since since we were kids Mm. oh wow what you played i'm sorry did you play sorry no, we just we got. In fact, it was when sh- the Chicago Symphony mm. was on strike. Ah. So we had the reunion in Chicago, and we walked the picket line with our friends from the symphony, and That's then uh, we all went out to dinner and just caught up. Mm. Hey, so what is it that you, what do you think of uh, the Suzuki method? Then, so it seems like you have you feel uh, positive about it, and what is it that you think that it? it like why why is it that you think it's uh, stood the test of time and and been such a successful way to teach children to be such great players? Um, you know, it's interesting because I'm not sure if my teacher strictly followed okay. <laughs> the program, but um, I feel like for those of us that if you have a strong ear and and when you're so young, mm. uh, the the youngest uh, um, student in our class was two, mm-hmm. so when you're that young. A lot of times trying to teach someone how to read, the first thing people want to do is they want to be able to play something. You know, they've been excited. Maybe maybe they saw um, someone on TV or heard a record and they want to play that song. Or, you know, I've had young kids, students come to me and say, I want to play Amazing Grace in Church. I want to do this. So the first thing they want to do is play. And I think if you approach them first, well, this is, you know, you have to learn how to read these notes. It would It could turn a lot of people off. It would definitely have turned me off. Mm. Um, and, and playing by ear, singing by ear, you know, we, we, a lot of times in these institutions, we go in or we go and teach and we say, okay, today we're going to do a transcription, you know, or I go in and, and talk to some music students and say, we're going to improvise. I'm going to show you this thing. And then, and students, a lot of times, if they're not, uh, if they haven't had experience with it, they, 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 they're frightened of it. They don't want to try it. And the thing is, is that, you know, I tell them, I, I say, you know, when you're listening to the radio or they don't listen to the radio, whatever they're listening to, you know, I could hear them singing. Maybe maybe it's the latest Beyonce song or, you know, or Bjork or whatever it is that they're listening to. And they can they can sing it. And I said, well, how did how did you learn that? Did you go to the store and buy some sheet music? Which, you know, of course they didn't. We know they didn't. And they said, no, I don't know. how." I said you learned it because you kept you heard it. So. I feel like we all have that ability, but, but then when we start to go in and, and just like, okay, you have these rules and this, 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 especially at a young age, you take the joy out of it. Mm. So I think the Suzuki method, um, gives you joy, even as a kid, when you're learning, you learn rhythms. And so, and they put words to the rhythm and as silly as it might seem at my age now, when I'm working on a piece and there's some difficult rhythm in it. I have my words that yeah. I put there. And so then when I look at it, I don't have to say one, e, uh, you know, I could just say, oh, that's pineapple marmalade. And I can just play it. Uh, you know, okay. um, it makes it much easier for me. Uh, uh, so I say whatever works for people. Um, but the fact that, yeah, you know, at the beginning you're playing da ga da ga da 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 ga da ga da And there are words to that. Yeah. And so 
you know, you might just be playing on one open string while the piano accompanist is playing Twinkle Twinkle Little Star. And you and you're playing, you feel like you're playing something and you are because you're learning rhythm and you're hearing that. So I, I, I think all of that. Um, and my teacher would play games with us where she'd line us up in a circle sometimes and she'd start to make up a melody and then she'd tap you on the shoulder and you had to continue making up mm-hmm. a melody. So I, I don't know if that's part of the Suzuki method, but I feel like she I'm really thankful to her for that because it made me um, less afraid mm. of improvisation. OK, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, it seems like there's a lot of uh, a lot of jazz violins I've spoken to. I think you're now the, the 28th that I've spoken to on this and uh, a lot of them Suzuki, uh, a lot of jazz players come from Suzuki, it, actually probably more than more more of them have done than haven't done so it, it, yeah i just see this this link between jazz and suzuki um or jazz violin and suzuki for sure um so you 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 got to the we've got to the point where you uh you're learning the violin how was it that you found um well how, did you you studied right you went and studied a classical uh, like conservatoire or, yes, yeah. um, college, yes, yeah. for two years. And then I transferred to a university outside of Detroit and graduated from there. Okay. And um, and was it around that time that you found jazz? Yeah, I would say it was my, um, probably my freshman or sophomore year in high school, actually. Okay. And um, one of my, my dearest friends, uh, who's a great vocalist, Carla Cook, she, uh, her brother turned her on to jazz at an early age. So she would always talk to me about these musicians, Miles Davis, Sarah Vaughn. And I, you know, I hadn't heard of these people. And she gave me for a gift um, a record, some records on Jean-Luc Ponty, Noel Pointer, and Stefan Grappelli, mm-hmm. all three jazz violinists. And hearing that blew my mind. Huh. I just hadn't, you know, I, I hadn't even thought of of that you know and although you know you hear i was hearing strings or violins and all kinds of music you know motown back then motown had string had live you know strings and horns and so i was hearing that and playing along with those tunes but i just hadn't heard it in this context so that was my uh, that that's when i was introduced and to jazz and yeah. yeah, and what, so when you heard, and when you heard that, you know, you, you, this is you heard these violinists playing jazz. Did you instantly think, "I want to do that," or yes, you did, <laughs> and and yeah. and so, and when you did, did you do it? Did you instantly start trying to work on that? Oh yeah, I I you know I remember the Jean Luc Ponty tune Renaissance on yeah. the record album Aurora. Yeah, and hearing that and putting it on my record player. Yeah, <laughs> you know playing it over and over and over and over to like sing it and then play along with it. And my friend Carla, that had, the vocalist that had given me the record, she also played upright bass. Nice. And so we do our gigs and we play that tune. And um, I remember also um, on that, listening to that album, the piano solo really grabbed me. I, and I was like, who is this on piano? Um, and I looked on the back of the record and it was Patrice Russian. And I kept waiting for her to do her own album, you know, it was like, and then finally, like hearing all these soundtracks or these tunes that she was writing. Um, but yeah, immediately I'd stand in the mirror and. <laughs> yeah, that's great. I think, you know, because some, there's some people 
I think you find you know they first heard uh, they first heard jazz and they didn't they they still it, I think for vi- some violinists I guess they would they would hear it and they would think no nah, you know that's that sounds crazy I could never do that but perhaps the, uh, the Suzuki training helped you be helped you go well I'm just going to work out what that is and play it because that's that's part of your training right yeah I you know I didn't even think of it I just yeah. I, I was like oh, I want to play that and you just put the record on and listen it just it's a very natural thing and I think you know when you look to a lot of cultures way back that is you look at um, many African cultures or, you know, um, you look at the kids that even here in New York, I used to play in a Charanga band mm. and some some parents would bring their, their kids to hear us and they might be four or five, six. And then by the time they were seven or eight, they were on stage playing cowbell and you know, learn. So it's a very natural way to learn. Um, and then you can go back and understand all of the, the 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 grammar of the language. Mm-hmm. It's the same way we learn to speak. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No. I, yeah. I agree. Um. So did, is so that was your approach with with learning. You you learned by ear. You like you you heard what you liked, and then you did at some point you went back and went actually what's going on. Yeah, and still asking what's going on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, tell me about it. Um. <laughs> When did when was that when you just first started to do that the the uh, hey what's going on here L- looking back and trying to try I guess to theorize some of the some of the things that you'd learned. Well, you know, I didn't even think about it until um, when I when I transferred to Oakland University where I graduated, um, and I was in the big band there. I wanted to play jazz, and so. Um, I went to the big band teacher and he put me in the saxophone section. And so I was playing lead alto charts. I was transcribing them mm. and he would tell me, you know, don't listen to violin players, listen to horn players and singers, breathe, learn to breathe when they breathe. And so then I had theory classes there and I had no idea what it was just, it, it was geometry for me, yeah. which I, I didn't do well. In. <laughs> and so I, I could hear Mm. what the answer was in that. And I would write it down. Mm. But my teacher would always say, but when I had to tell him how I got there, it was completely wrong. Like he, like I just didn't get it, but I could hear it. Mm. Yeah. That's interesting. I feel, I think it's quite, again, I think it's quite a violin thing that is like, we have good ears because you have to, oh, you're, as soon as you start playing, you're like, am I in tune? You have to think about that all the time. Right. Right. That's just like yep. all you do when you're playing. Maybe, maybe not all you do, but you know, you're a lot of the time, especially when you first start, you're you're thinking, "Bang! Oh, am I in tune? No, oh yeah, now I'm in tune." So we we just train our ears, even you know, regardless of how we learn, we we have a good ear, but we don't have we don't have the uh, the chords in front of us, right? We don't we don't ever get right. to play a chord on our instrument, um, or you know, we do later, but it's much later on, and and I guess we don't. So I think it's a bit more difficult for violinists to start with the theory, right? I think. I, you know, for me, it is. It was. It is still. Because um, my brain just doesn't operate that way. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I've tried many different approaches. Um, I've worked with a, a pianist uh, 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 here that... Um, doing it by sound by by singing through it so so it's kind of like learning how i learn yeah because for so many years i think i tried to force myself 
to learn like everyone else okay learned yeah yeah okay and actually and you found that 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 wasn't you didn't enjoy that and it, and it didn't it didn't mean it meant that you didn't enjoy the music as much perhaps yeah yeah and i didn't learn anything and it made me frustrated and it just made me say oh, i don't want to do this anymore i don't want to do it. instead of it took me a long time to accept that everyone learns in their own way yeah. and um, if i could just embrace my way of learning then you know didn't didn't make me any less than someone else well i think that's amazing that, you know some people probably don't ever get to that point a lot of people find it difficult to do that and they just they'll stick with that thing but it's, it's good that you able to to say to yourself no no this is how i do it i'm going to do it like this it's good yeah well trust me it's been, it's been years <laughs> so i'm just you know at this point i'm like you know yeah. <laughs> my friends are like we're tired of hearing you complain about that <laughs> just either what you're gonna do or you know yeah that's so funny um so when so you first starting you're trying you know you're getting into playing uh who was the who's your main influence musically musically um well i'd have to say in the beginning it was those three violinists you know um and i got a chance my friend carla bought tickets uh there was a concert we used to have a concert series in detroit back in the day it was on the rooftop of a hotel the pontchartrain Mm -hmm. and it was pontchartrain jazz series and we saw we heard um stefan grappelli's trio and just to be that close and to see how much fun they were having. Mm. That was the thing I think that really attracted me to this music was just seeing how much fun they had when they were playing. Mm. Um, there was a, free, a sense of freedom to it. And that's what I wanted. You know, I started listening to, I, I, you know, I didn't know what to buy. I didn't even know what to listen to, what to listen for. Early on, I because my mother was totally against me playing jazz. All right. Um, and the whole lifestyle. So she, I asked her one year for some records for Christmas and she got me Ornette Coleman's Dance in Your Head, um, Eric Doffy's Out to Lunch and I and Bitches Brew Miles. And when I heard those records, it was it was like noise. It was t- to me it sounded horrible. And I was like, oh God, if this is jazz, never mind. Um and it's funny because I'm I'm thankful now that I had that experience yeah. because you know it's I tell people it's whenever you learn a new music or a new, it's a, it's another language. And sometimes if you've ever gone to a foreign country where they don't speak your language and you don't speak it and you don't understand it, this thing happens with your ear, at least with my ears, it's like this popping thing trying to understand it. And it sounds crazy in the beginning. Mm. And then the more you hear it and the more you, it starts to make sense. Yeah. So after, you know, uh, after years in the music, when I revisited those those albums, mm-hmm. I loved them, mm-hmm. and I could hear the beauty. I, I my ear, I was too young, I was yeah. too immature musically to to hear those records at the time. And I think it was a great experience because I've had you know when people come up to me and say, uh, uh, you know, if they say, oh, I say I play jazz, they'll say I hate jazz, yeah. and I'm like, well, what did you what did you listen to? Yeah. You know, there's a lot of music, and then I can say. Well, try, try this person. Check this recording out. Check this, you know, mm. um, because everyone's not going to like everything. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Um, I think just just a quick step back. You said that your mom, your mother wasn't wasn't that into you learning jazz. And then she she gave you an Eric Dolphy album, Miles Davis, Bitches Brew. And, and I can't remember what the other one was, but like that's. Or, or Coleman. Or yeah. Coleman. Like that. That's a that's quite 
as in she knew about jazz, but she was like, nah, you should do this. Is, did she put, did she give you that music to, to like put you off? That's what I, 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 I always wonder now. Um, I mean, cause I knew she grew up uh, in an area in Detroit called Black Bottom where, okay. you know, black people and immigrants were forced to live. Mm-hmm. And some of them very poor. My mom was very poor, but mm-hmm. some of them wealthy, well-to-do. And, but those were where all the clubs were, and, you know, the Bluebird, okay. um, uh, all these clubs. And so all the musicians were coming through. So my mom heard, my mom saw live Ella Fitzgerald, oh, okay. and, you know, all, all of these, you know, she was born in 1926. So the, mm-hmm. the, the earlier music, yeah. I think um, she didn't know. I think she went to the store and either said to the, to the guy there, um, my daughter wants some jazz records and he picked his three favorites yeah. or, or she said, I don't want her to play jazz. But, you know, I think someone working in a record store back then, I think they were his favorite records. That, to be honest, that makes the most sense because that feels like they, they go together, those three, right? Those records. I can see how they can, you know, that sounds like someone's, someone's taste there. Yeah. 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 yeah maybe, maybe not the, maybe not the best thing. You know, maybe if you, if you if you want an overview of jazz, perhaps branch it out a little bit. But I don't know. Um, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, you're saying you you heard that and you didn't want to do that. But you so you but you had a was your uh, were your parents um, supportive of you being a musician in general? Did they like did, did they like that you were a musician? Um, my mother did, as long as she thought I was heard her her. her um, which was for me to to be able to get in a major orchestra, okay. symphony orchestra, so that I could have health insurance, pension, all those things that no one has now, unless you're in that. And I had no uh, no interest. And you know, it's interesting. My first violin teacher told my mother it would be really difficult for me to get into an orchestra as an African American. Okay. And yeah. so you know, then my mother thought, okay, well, you could teach. Um, which I had no interest. My father, um, he worked at Ford Motor Company. He was not, you know, he was like, you need to get a real job. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, okay, this is about as real as it gets. But, uh, yeah, you know, I think when, when I finally, um, started gigging and making enough money to pay for my own health insurance, that's actually when my mother relaxed with it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, that's a that's a that that's a struggle that musicians face still. There's no, I don't think that that's. I wonder. I don't even know if that's changed at all. Like the no. the whole um, yeah, I want to be a musician, and then the, and then the back, the backlash of well, I don't know about that. You know, at least at least you get a lot of you can still get a lot of oh, you got to be careful, which can you know. But it seems like that spurred you on to uh, to do it anyway, which good thing yeah yeah um i think when the passion is there you can't ignore it no 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 yeah i i agree yeah it stops you know you i don't know if you if this rings with you but it's it's ring it's definitely for me it's not even it's sort of not really a choice it's just you know you're just sort of obsessed by this thing and then you're sort of like well i need to do that so it's not even about whether it whether it's uh, whether it makes you money or if it doesn't, you're just sort of like, well, I'm just going to, I just really like this thing. And I, I, that's what, so I'm just going to do that. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like that's, 
yeah, it's works. just, it's there. That's what you have to do. You don't even have a choice. Yeah, I agree. So, um, so the, for the, so those three violinists, uh, they were, they were your, they were your main inspiration, but you know, actually what, what ring, what's, what's funny to me is I hear you playing that, that that's, I don't, I don't feel like you, you, uh, try to emulate them in any way. No, and no. Yeah, that's 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 great. And actually, most of the time, you know, if I ask that question, I I actually probably perhaps already know the answer. Even without, even if I haven't checked it out, I probably already know the answer by listening to someone play. But that's really it's a, it's actually very refreshing to hear someone um, name three violinists that I actually wouldn't have. Uh, I don't know. I wouldn't have heard heard and thought, hey, that's definitely the, the case. So so you must have at some point. Uh, consciously decided that you wanted to find your own voice, right? Well, when I when I started at the university, at Oakland University, uh, Mark Marvin Doc Holliday um, told me to stop listening to jazz violinists. He said there were too few of them, and that I would end up sounding like them, and that I would want to find my own voice. And so he suggested listening to horn players and vocalists, mm -hmm. and so um, that's. That's what I did, you know, and I worked in the summer when I was in college. I uh, there was a summer camp. Uh, there was a gentleman in Detroit named Marcus Belgrave mm -hmm. um, uh, who played with everyone around the world, but decided to stay in Detroit and, you know, keep that as home. And so he would have a summer camp at his house and, and people like uh, uh, Kenny Garrett, mm -hmm. um, Marion Hayden, Bob Hurst, Jerry Allen all went through his camp and many, many more. And so he would teach us. Um, about phrasing, um, just all the aspects of jazz, of playing and the business. Um, so then I started transcribing, you know, horn players and trying to sound like horn players and then, you know, learning, learning tunes and um, playing a tune once it was a ballad and this horn player, Big Nick Nichols, heard me and said, do you know the words to that tune? And I said, no. And he said, I can tell. Yeah. Because of the way that you're playing the melody, he goes, it's very important that you always know the words. Mm. So that was the greatest advice I could have I could have gotten. Mm. Okay, and so yeah, you found you found your own voice via by via stepping away from from listening to violinists and listening to uh, yeah uh, the other instruments, sax, sax, trumpet, piano. Um, did that did did you is there anything that you find difficult about that that you found difficult about that like technically on the violin did you ever did, did you ever find there were struggles when you're trying to um emulate these these other instruments yeah you know um especially with the, the like the charlie parker the those bird solos because sometimes they're just weird string crossings like there's this one uh, ah, yeah. you know so it's like trying to find the, you know, trying to make that work. And, you know, sometimes I'll have violin students say, well, what Boeing do you do? And I'm like, whatever's going to get you there, <laughs> yeah. that's, what, that's what the Boeing is. Yeah. You know? like, and I, I find that a lot of times with students coming from or people coming from the European classical world playing jazz, it's that whole, you know, the way we're taught in the beginning to play is this that long hmm. And like very, and I tell them you can use about this much bow yeah. to get that, or it's not going to swing. So just trying to figure that out, and 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 hearing think the ghost note thing. You know, you you think you hear it, it might not really be there. 
Um, or maybe it's just the way the saxophone spoke. Yeah. You know, maybe that note just didn't come really come out, but that's part of it. And so trying to emulate that. So yeah. that was the thing. I think the bowings and, and fingering things. Um, and then um, and, and, and the you know, sometimes like when you're playing, if I don't if I don't record myself, I think that I'm doing something. You know, I think, OK, I'm, I'm playing that like they play it. And then when I listen back to a recording of myself doing it, it's like, no, you're yeah. not. And, you know, it's just uh, I, I try to tell everyone, you know, record yourself because you're going to be your best teacher. Yeah, that's a, that's a very good point. And I, I guess it's, uh, you know, the, the, the point that you made about thinking that you sound like something and then listening back and you don't. I think that's like that is like a Boeing problem, right? I think that we in our heads you listen to so much jazz and you might hear that you've gone first but do you don't but then and that might have happened in your head but the bow it might not have worked out with your bow and you might have just gone and and then you you know I guess that's a really that's a very very good point and it's not the same as like a sax a sax they they can speak it can't they a lot easier than we can because it's coming from there right I well I think because they if they start with that music you yeah. know whatever music you whatever your mother tongue is that's you know it's easy to to speak that because you know I think about whenever I, I was just down in um, at University of uh, University of North Texas um, working for a week and I was with Scott Violin and Scott Tixier oh yeah and um, it was interesting to um, see that. To, to work with some of the string players and, and some of the horn players. So I met a, a, a student down there that came from the fiddle tradition. Ah, yeah. And they completely learned by ear. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no, and so I find that a lot of times when I meet fiddle, wh- whether it's Americana, Irish, whatever, wherever, that they have an easier time yeah. improv- with jazz mm. and the whole phrasing thing and just, because because I think a lot of it is because it's it's been by ear mm. and I think they can hear hear the phrasing better. You know, it's just whatever music you're studying as a as a European classical musician, you're listening to those records, yeah. those recordings all the time to emulate that sound and those that phrasing. Mm. And I I always say a difficult thing with musicians, I find um if they've been playing one style of music, if they've come up playing European classical music, and then all of a sudden they say, but I can play my violin. I've been playing for like 15, 20 years, and they think they can just play jazz. And it's like, no, this is a completely different language. You know, you yeah. might speak, you might be a fluent, uh, fluent in, in Spanish, but that doesn't just, because you're fluent in Spanish doesn't mean now you could just speak Japanese or you could speak, yeah. you know, whatever. It's a, it, you, you have to be a baby. And it's really difficult after you've been playing your instrument for so many years to be a baby again. Mm-hmm. Is that something that you, that you try to, to do, you know, with, with learning other styles? Do you, do you, well, I actually, I don't know why I'm asking that question. I know that you play a lot of other styles, so I'm, I'm, I'm actually leading, a, doing a leading question there, but you play a lot of different styles. So <laughs> when you, when you're, uh, when you're, going for those styles and try to learn those styles is that a, is that a way that you try to think about it do you try to take a step back um i i guess it's just i don't even think of it in terms of that if it's a music that i love i just listen hmm. i immerse myself in that music like i love afro-cuban music yeah. um 
you know, I played in a charanga band. Yeah. I love I love to dance, you know, and I think dance is a very important aspect of the music, too. And I tell my students, for especially jazz students, like take a tap dance class. It's going to really help you with your rhythm. And um, you did tap dance, didn't you? I did. <laughs> I did read that. Yeah. OK, so do you, do you think that do you reckon that's helped you then? Oh, definitely. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, um, I'm artistic director uh, of a, a, a camp for young women. It, we've renamed it uh, the Jerry Allen Jazz Camp. And she was the artistic director for three or four years before she passed. Mm. And um, it's for young women, 14 to 26 in the summer for a week at New Jersey Performing Arts Center. And so last year I brought in um, the tap dancer uh, and musician Brene Ali. And she came in and gave us a whole lecture and film series on, you know, the the, the connection between tap and jazz. Mm. And then she taught us uh, a dance called the Shim Sham. Yeah. So that we had to learn. And it was great to see the students really got into it. And I, I feel like even just that little bit, when we say think about that, we could hear it wasn't, you know, it was, we could hear a slight change in their in their in the way they approached a rhythm or, or approached playing. So I really think it's it's important. But I just try to um, immerse myself and listen, listen, listen. I don't. I try not to get anal- analytical about it because then I think that takes that that takes the magic away. Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah. Um, so I was the, the point you made about um, about folk fiddlers being able to to sort of get to jazz a little bit easier than classical fiddlers. I. I for me, I think that could be something to do with like the fact that there is actually groove that goes on with folk, and the idea of groove doesn't quite fit with with classical music as such, right? So I think it's a different thing, and that's I've, in in my opinion, I've, it's uh, it's to do with the groove thing. I think that it's very difficult for classical violinists to to get a handle of groove. Um, how are there any like techniques that you? Um, that you give to classical students who are trying to get an understanding of like of groove or in jazz or anything in you know it doesn't have to be specifically jazz but groove in general yeah um i, <laughs> I make them dance so you I, make them dance okay I, amazing <laughs> i i co-teach a class at manhattan school of music with a guitarist that um he started a, a course there for classical players that are interested in improvisation so i go in maybe once once or twice a month mm-hmm. and I'll put on a tune and then I say, okay, stand up, don't put your instruments down and we're going to move. And it's, it's interesting. You know, when I grew up, I, you know, I'm a sixties baby. We like, we danced, we went out and we went dancing. We learned the latest dance and everything. I, I don't know that kids really dance today. You know, it's an odd thing. Um, and so just to get them to move, yeah. you know, and just to feel it and say, come on, uh, yeah. uh, uh, you know, and the, and it's so, it's so out of their comfort zone. It's just like sometimes they just can't, and I just keep on, and you know, and I'll I'll embarrass myself. I make a fool of myself just yeah. so they laugh, they get comfortable. Um, but you know, if you can't move hmm. to it, if you can't groove to it, you're not you're not gonna. It's not gonna come out, you know. Yeah, yeah that that yeah that makes a lot of sense. I but I, you know I can also envisage the scene of a bunch of classical musicians being like please don't make me dance in front of everybody <laughs> i can see it now in fact actually, right. I, think, I think i've been in that situation before i think i had a teacher who did that when i studied jazz it was a singer she was like everyone dance and i just everyone's just like 
Oh, please. Just looking at the floor. But it's good for you. Right. Yeah. Amazing. So I just, uh, I'd quite like to move a little bit to, um, like, you know, I, I heard your interview with Chris Howes, which is, which was really amazing interview. I got, I got a load out of that. I really enjoyed listening to that. Um, and, uh, you know, you mentioned that you have been doing work out with music. Um, and first, first of all, I, would you mind just sort of telling me, you know, how that came about and what, what that is? When my mom was making her transition, mm-hmm. I spent the time with her in the hospital years ago. And there was a point where she couldn't communicate anymore, but I would take music in or I would talk to her sometimes, but I put the music on and sometimes I would see that her vitals would just kind of go wacky and I would take that off yeah. and put on something else and watch them. And so, you know, we always hear, oh, music is is, re- is healing, music is this. And it sounds so like such a cliche, but then when you start to see how real that is, it's it's it blew me away. And being there with her at the hospital and seeing so many elderly people that were there and didn't have anyone to come and visit them, mm-hmm. it, it really um, affected me. Um, and so once she passed, um, the following year, um, I received a, a MacArthur grant. And so with that money, I, I took some time off of playing mm-hmm. um, to give myself a chance to heal. Plus, I had just I was sued. I went through a big lawsuit because I canceled a, a festival um, due to my mother's death. And, right, yeah. You know, so anyway. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know, and so I got this grant and I took time off and I decided I wanted, I thought I wanted to go back to school to be a music therapist. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I talked to a lot of different people and I, um, someone suggested I take the intro class. So I took an intro course to music music therapy um at western michigan university in um in kalamazoo with dr ed roth and i found that that's not what i wanted to do either but in in doing that i had to shadow a couple of different um hospice workers and uh or music therapists rather and the ones that i really connected with i i love doing the hospice work going into the and playing so i decided that's what i wanted to do so i trained to become a hospice volunteer and i wanted my um clientele to be you know elderly and mm-hmm. i had three patients in but it was difficult they lived at home and they didn't necessarily some had family that could get there sometimes some had no family mm-hmm. and then when i would go on the road there was no one mm-hmm. to pick up the slack so i would always keep in touch with them from the road and make sure they were okay but um i felt that wasn't even fair after a while to have someone and then be gone mm-hmm. um so after my last patient passed away, um, I didn't I didn't work in hospice for a while. But then I decided um, I was supposed to be in training actually now to become an end of life doula. Ah. Uh, but it's gone on everything is shut down. So once yeah. this passes, that's what I'll do. I need balance in my life. You know, I work a, a, I work a lot playing. Mm-hmm. You know, who knows what's going to happen going forward, but. I felt like I needed something else and I have a, a real passion for this, hmm. um, a real calling to do this. And so um, if I could take some time and be home, whether sit with someone for some hours, hmm. um, play music for them, um, be a support for them, hmm. you know, just maybe play concerts sometimes in nursing homes or hospitals. Mm-hmm. Um, but just to have that other side, it would give me balance that I need. Yes. 
Yeah, it's uh, it's very it's very commendable to to be doing that, and I don't know, certainly someone. Uh, yeah, it's very, it's very commendable. People in those situations, these hospices, no, that isn't working for, out for anybody anymore. That no one's going in to do that. Well, I mean, not yeah, no volunteers can go in right now, mm. but you know, um, the nurses of course have to, but yeah, there's no volunteers or 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 end of life doulas. Yeah. That are allowed to go in, so it's really, it's it's really sad. It's really a horrible time, and even you know, for people that maybe go into the hospital and their families can't um, can't even come and be with them, it's it really breaks my heart. Yeah, hmm. yeah. I just was thinking, you know, there's a lot of musicians who now are out of work, and musicians are going to be probably out of work for longer than others, right? Yeah. Perhaps it's a good. You know, it's a good vocation for the time being, for when perhaps in that mid middle point for musicians to start doing more of that. I think you have to be comfortable with that, though, at least for hospice. I mean, but there's other, you know, there's other, 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 uh, you could go into nursing homes or whatever. There's other, uh, other avenues, but yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah, I don't know. That's, that's, it's, it's amazing that you do that. And I, I hope that you get on track as soon as you can with that and, and carry on because it sounds great and i think it is important for i think musicians perhaps you know you spend a lot of time thinking about themselves eh? so it can be quite i imagine imagine be quite nice to to do work like that where you're not just thinking about oh how's my how's my pinky doing or whatever you know it's it's you're thinking about you're thinking outside of the world of music right and just um it's so easy to get bogged down with the little things, as they say. Mm. Um, and then, you know, when I would have my my one hospice patient who was in her 90s and I go and talk with her and visit with her and hear about her life or just and knowing like she's living here alone. She can't really see the TV. She feels like the, she felt like the radio was so negative and that mm. when I wasn't there, she was just all alone unless another family member could, could come and visit, which it wasn't often. So it just put it put my life in perspective. It just always gave me a little reality check. Mm. OK, so would you would you would recommend it to anybody doing well, perhaps you said not 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 hospital think, specifically, but I mean, I think. I think it's something to consider if you can, or even playing in nursing homes. Um, with the camp last year, I had the the young women um, play. We played a concert. We went to a nursing home in Newark, and the residents loved it, and yeah. they were singing along with them. And so I think when you can play your music, it's great to play in front of a huge audience and have them, you know, to get that feeling when they love it. But also when you go in to some, somewhere like that and see that, it's just it's so special to see their their faces light up and to know that you're really giving someone a gift. There's yeah, it's it's a heavy experience. Yeah. So have you have you found it difficult to be without that experience in in lockdown? Um no. You know, I right now, I mean in the beginning I I did and I was severely disappointed when I couldn't do my training. Yeah. Um I felt like I needed this. I needed the time, actually, because I I worked so hard last year. I took every gig that came along and didn't, mm-hmm. th- you know, it's just uh, I still after, you know, playing and being in the business this long, I still think, OK, you better take this gig because you don't know. You better. Yeah. You better. And here we are, <laughs> you mm-hmm. know. Um, 
So I took everything and then there wouldn't be time in between to like, you know, I'd have to prepare this concerto or Mm. prepare this piece or learn this. And so I was completely exhausted Mm. um, by the end of the year. And uh, so this time I, I gave myself like two weeks just to do nothing, whatever I wanted to do and not feel guilty. Uh, as in, in lockdown, you're giving yourself two weeks in lockdown. That's re- that's that is that is very good. I was just saying yeah. to someone the other day that I've I wish that I did that, or I, I probably should do it now. I wish I was good at doing that. I find it very difficult. I'm like, right, what are you supposed to do? You got to do something. It's very difficult. So yeah, you so you've given yourself yeah, two weeks. That's happening now. You that's know, that's starting now. to creep in. <laughs> Oh, and you're still yeah. you're still talking to me, which I I really appreciate that I very much. Oh think. no, listen, I'm glad. Thank you. <laughs> um, so you're 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 taking this time. So it sounds like you're doing lockdown pretty well, I'd say. I think so. You know, um, I mean, I have things I have to do, and today it's like okay, there's no there's no putting it off till tomorrow. Okay. But you know, um, I'll get that done. I you know, and I find other ways to be of service to people. My minister. Um, her husband, she just lost her husband three weeks, oh. three weeks ago. So I'm going to go grocery shopping for her um, after we finish our call. So, you know, and they'll give me a chance to get out of the house and get some air. Mm. And then I say, OK, that's my treat for the that's my highlight. Then I'll come home and do some work. And when my husband finishes up his work uh, tonight, well, we'll, you know, we'll figure out a, a good a good dinner. And sometimes we cook together. I'll cook. He'll cook. So it's just fun. Or we'll watch series we'll binge watch some series and it's fun yeah yeah well that's that's good refreshing to hear maybe i should do that i think we should all do that take some time use this time to to take take time out eh? yeah yeah um so not to try and put your brain into different mode but just uh, to, to maybe we'll finish up quite soon sounds like you actually really need to go and get that person the the groceries so but um just to <laughs> To, to finish, to to sort of finish up, perhaps after your two week chill period, do you have any plans um, for what you're going to do? Well, the two week chill period is over. Oh so. <laughs> no, oh. it's over. So yeah, I have I have um, some work, uh, some paperwork, and I need to um, now that the camp is my the camp is going to um, happen via either Zoom or or some online platform. That's very new for me. So nice. um, we're trying to figure out how to how to schedule the day. It can't be a long day. It can't be nine to five in front of a computer. So I have to finish working on that, you know, or at least really um, get into that and try and figure that out. Um, and I, you know, I had a, a project that I was supposed to be working on now, the next recording, and it, it just... Uh, trying to trying to really uh, focus and read and, and do that research mm. uh, that's been a little difficult and, and yeah so that's that's kind of my plan you know last night I did a um, my husband and I did a uh, it was like we had to record a little thing for for a radio show and we played together we had to make up something it had to be an original and we hadn't played together since this whole since the lockdown oh wow and, you know, we hadn't played, period. Well, he's been playing practices mm-hmm. and then he's teaching. We hadn't played together. And it was a lot of fun. Yeah. So we, we decided to leave that set up and just to play because it just started my creative juices going. Oh, that's great. So you're getting, you're, you're feeling creative. That sounds pretty positive. You're doing a Zoom camp. 
Have you have you started work thinking about how that would work? Because I know that a lot of people are trying to work think of how these things are working out. I just I some of the faculty, most of the faculty, actually everyone except for me, they 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 have they were teaching at a university, so they've been doing the Zoom teaching. Okay. Um, so they're getting the to grips to grips of it. Yeah. Yeah. So and my husband, um, he teaches. Uh, 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 in fact, in New Jersey. Um, NJ Pack, they have a jazz for teens program that he teaches. And so they maybe two weeks ago started, it's just on Saturday, they've been doing their classes online. Yeah. Um, but it's just once a week so they can have a longer day because ours is six days in a row. Wow. We can't have that long of a day every day. So just trying to figure out and how to get our guests, fit, still get our guest artists in and clinicians in and yeah. fit all of that in as well. So it's... um. You know, I just started working last night on what I thought might work, and then I'm sharing it with the faculty and asking for their input. Mm. Uh, yeah, nice. You know. Oh, well. Well, good luck with that. And thanks Thank very you. much for chatting to me. Um, we've done a good Thank you, Matthew. I, was, I enjoy it. Yeah. Thank you. Well, I'm glad. You've been listening to Regina Carter and myself, Matt Holborn, talking about jazz violin. So... If you're enjoying these podcasts, please give us a rating on iTunes. Uh, or even better, you can, as I said, you can support us on Patreon. Um, one last thing, for any violinists out there that like getting up early in the morning during lockdown, I'm leading practice sessions on Zoom for jazz violinists or people wanting to get into jazz violin. We basically run through scales in creative ways. It's Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays, 10 a.m. UK time. So if you just want, if you want to get involved, please send me an email at bookings at mattholborn.com and uh, I'll add you to the group. But uh, yeah, hopefully uh, see you again soon.